0: Hi, everyone. and Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli joined here today by Warren Thomas CPA. Warren is a professional with extensive experience in estate planning, financial planning, and real estate advisory services. He's also currently a managing partner at Rate, a company that provides real estate investments that target secure capital, stable income, and strategic exits in order to protect and grow wealth. In our ever-ending quest here at the Real Estate CPA to bring you the most hard-hitting real estate tax strategies, in today's episode, we're going to discuss an exit strategy known as a 721 exchange or upread transaction. In summary, an upread transaction allows investors to use a 1031 exchange to sell their property and defer their capital gains tax by buying into a fractional ownership interest of an institutional-grade property through a Delaware statutory trust, then using a 721 exchange to essentially acquire shares of a REIT, again, all while deferring your capital gains tax on the sale of your original property. Sound complicated? Don't worry. We're about to break it all down for you right here on the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Hey, everyone. We want to let you know about a new podcast we're releasing today called the Staying Power Podcast. This is a podcast that will explore the challenges business owners face as they grow. Together, Brandon Hall and I ask the tough questions to show you that running a business is not for the faint at heart. But if you have the staying power, you'll overcome your challenges and achieve lasting success. Subscribe to the Staying Power Podcast today on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and wherever else podcasts can be found. We hope you'll love this new podcast just as much as the Real Estate CPA podcast. However, for right now, we'll jump right into today's episode. Warren, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and how you got involved with real estate? Yes, happy to. So
2: I began my career with Ernst & Ernst in 1978, and began in audit. By the mid 80s, I had obtained the CPA and my master's in taxation, and had started a three-office CPA firm in Southern California. Uh, So that's that was the beginning of my career, and it was uh, became very quickly uh, fairly tax-oriented. In the 90s, we uh, began to introduce and get engaged in financial planning with our clients. And I was first licensed there through New York Life Insurance. And then by the uh, 2000s, we had had an abundance of 1031 exchange investors. So we began to evaluate the various 1031 exchange sponsors or real estate companies that were bringing out programs that a 1031 exchange investor could be engaged in.
0: Nice, nice. And uh, you know one of the strategies, one of the 1031 exchange strategies, or one of the exit strategies, rather, for a 1031 exchange is a Section 721 exchange, which from our understanding is a more uncommon transaction, but certainly an interesting one. Would you be able to give us a quick rundown on what a 721 exchange is? Yeah. So a 721 exchange uh, can be used in a variety of ways,
2: but basically a 721 generally provides that you have no gain or loss to be recognized when you contribute your particular property into a partnership or an operating partnership of a REIT. And that's a provision that if you were to take, let's say uh, those of us on the radio, we decide that we each own a rental property And for diversification purposes, we would like to contribute our three rental properties into one partnership together because it might be safer to have three assets than to be relying upon one asset. And uh, so we go ahead and contribute those three properties. Well, IRS says, as long as you're contributing your assets to a partnership structure, they're not going to require you to recognize your gain on that contribution. So it's a way for a person that owns real estate to actually contribute their real estate to a bigger pool or a different uh, structure like a partnership and not have to recognize the
1: gain. real quick, can this be done with any partnership or is it only REIT specific partnerships? It can be
2: done with any partnership. Uh, You have to be exchanging real estate for real estate. So normally you're looking at a real estate oriented partnership, but it does not have to be structured as a REIT per se. And yet the REIT structure is one of the most common structures for 721.
1: Can I exchange into a partnership with a 721? Yes, you can. You can contribute
2: your property into a 721. It's actually a type of a, a, a deferred exchange, but it's called a 721 exchange. What you cannot do is exchange your property for a partnership interest and take just a partnership interest. So there's a distinction between you and others contributing your property together to form that partnership, and you actually contributing your property and just taking partnership
1: shares. Okay, I see. So, so let's say you and Tom are partners. You have an LLC. You got a partnership. I sell an asset. I want to roll the gain into your partnership. You guys want me to be a partner because I'm awesome, and uh, and you want me to be in this partnership. So I, I sell the property. I cannot acquire a stake in the partnership. We, we all have to be selling property at the same time and then form the new partnership collectively. You, you actually have to contribute your property to that new partnership. You
2: can't sell the partnership and then contribute your cash. That's the distinction. As long okay. as you're contributing partnership property or your property to a partnership, it can qualify for 721. But doing the sale first and then thinking, oh, I'm gonna put my, my cash into that partnership That would be prohibited. You can't do that. That would be a type of a, you're trying to do a a 1031 with that, with your cash proceeds, and it won't work. You can't go into a partnership with cash proceeds. And the IRS recognized this. In 2004, they uh, had a uh, regulations out that talked about what type of structure you could use to go into a group investment that would qualify for 1031 exchange, not a 721, but a 1031 And the DST rules were then formed. So a DST is a Delaware statutory trust. And if you were to sell your property and you want to go into something that initially feels like a partnership, but is not, you could take your equity and contribute it to a DST and you get the benefits of a ten thirty one exchange of tax deferral, diversification, et cetera. And it qualifies for being a ten thirty one without being a part technically a partnership. I think we're kind of going around the bush here a little
1: bit with this.
0: Yeah. From my understanding, what some people do, right, they'll have a property and I'm I'm about to retire, let's just say. And uh, I don't think that my heirs, for whatever reason, could run this property. So instead, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and sell this property. I'm going to liquidate it. I'm going to liquidate it into a DST. I'm going to use a tenth there in exchange to get into a DST. And then the DST is going to go ahead and um, pretty much contribute the DST into a operating partnership of a REIT in exchange for the shares of the REIT? That's correct. That's correct. So the DST
2: is the first step in the vehicle of getting to a 721 for most investors. Now, if you happen to have the perfect property that a REIT wants to acquire, let's say that it's a net lease REIT similar to what we have, and you have a, a Walgreens with 15 years and we agree that the value is what you think it is, and I think it is, and I want that particular asset for my, my REIT, I can offer a 721 to you to bring that asset in. Well, the problem with that is that most people don't have an asset that I'm interested in acquiring because most folks, they've got a two unit or an eight unit or a single family rental, all of which qualify for 1031 exchange. But I wouldn't want that asset inside of my REIT because it's not homogenous to the assets in my REIT. So for those investors, if they want to get to that larger REIT structure and use a 721, they first sell their property doing a 1031 exchange into a DST. And then the DST will, after three to five years, move into the 721 and the REIT structure. So it's really, it's a two-step.
0: What goes into that timeline? Why is it three to five years? How come it takes that long to go from, say, owning your property into the read shares?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and some business plans may call for it to go sooner than three to five years. You have to be careful in any prearranged transaction, because if you're doing a 1031 exchange of your property into the DST, you don't want a prearranged transaction that where it goes right into the 721 or the REIT, because IRS may view that transaction as negating the 1031 exchange. So You have to be careful about guaranteed or prearranged transactions. So normally, you know, if you get past one to two years on that planning, it'd be very difficult for IRS to argue that you didn't have a valid 1031 exchange in the first place. So our rule of thumb is we would like to be offering that 721 roll-up option to our investors roughly three to five years
1: from the date they come in into the DST. Who does a 721 make sense for? How do I know if I'm eligible for a 721? Well, a
2: 721, uh, If may I compare 721 to a DST for a moment? Sure. So under a DST, some DSTs are created where they have one property in them, and you're going from your rental property into a DST, and it might be a 300-unit apartment complex, but it's one 300-unit apartment complex. There are other DSTs that will have 20 or 25 properties in them. So you're going from your rental property into a pool of 20 or 25 properties. Now, with ExchangeRite, my company, what we do is we actually uh, form DSTs that typically have 20 to 25 properties. And so you have diversification, but you have diversification that are all homogenous type properties. You might have Walgreens and CVS and Kroger and Dollar General and you know, larger companies that are investment grade and that the lease is being guaranteed by the corporate parent. So we created DST that will have 25 properties. Well, in a sense, we've, we've had some folks call our structure mini REITs. So they have many of the advantages that being in a, a REIT would give you. But technically, they're not a REIT. They are DSTs. They qualify for that 1031 exchange treatment coming in. Well, why would, you, why would an investor um, go into that? Well, they're going into it because it's diversified. It's got stable cash flow. It's got investment grade tenants. It's got these characteristics that the typical retiree or pre-retiree finds uh, favorable for them. And uh, that's a reason why you might see the DST, uh, diversified DST, being attractive. Well, then we look at, well, what's a 721 give that investor? Well, if they're already in this DST that feels like a mini REIT, why go to the next level, which might be 150 or 250 properties, where you roll up your 20 or 25 property DST into this REIT that's much larger? Well, you do that because it's further risk mitigation. You have further diversification of uh, the credit of the tenants. The lease rollover risk is mitigated because it's a larger number of leases. You have uh, more locations. You're in more markets. You're just gaining a broader level of diversification. And so that will be attractive to some of your 1031 exchange investors as being an exit option. There are some other opportunities there too. Some of them are shared by the DST, but from an estate planner's viewpoint, by moving into either a DST or a 721, you're going to be able to create uh, estate planning uh, step-ups and basis. If you have a husband or wife pass away, you'll be able to divide the assets into smaller pieces. If you're trying to put some into a, a living trust, some to a charity, some to your three kids, you can do that division very easily with either the DST or the 721.
1: It sounds like on the pros side, if we were to to look at pros and cons, on the pros side, it just creates a lot of flexibility, right? It creates another option to roll funds into the next deal. Um, What about on the con side? What are some cons that uh, somebody engaging in a Section 721 transaction faces?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. With our DST product, we give the investors the option of cashing out, which most don't because they wouldn't want to cash out unless there's a death in the family and they get that step up. Uh, We give them the option of rolling to another 1031, uh, which some will take, and then we'll give them the option of doing the 721. We found, like in last year, we rolled four of our portfolios. We had 50% that did another 1031 into another DST. We had 13% that cashed in, primarily because a husband or wife died and they got a step up, and we had 37% that rolled to the 721. So why did they pick one over the other? Well, it's pretty obvious those that cashed out, cashed out because the tax uh, the tax uh, step up allowed them to do that. Those that went into the DST again, for the most part, they wanted to preserve their ability to do another 1031 in the future, whereas those that went into the 721 they looked at the diversification and they they looked at the trade-off of not being able to do a future 1031 against the benefits of being in a bigger portfolio. And they happened to choose the 721 larger portfolio option. So there are pros and cons. I think the the biggest con to doing a 721 is that you're not going to be able
0: to come back out with another 1031 in the future. So one question on this. So I, from, from my understanding is like, right, so once you have the REIT shares, say you have the REIT shares, right? And now if I were to sell off the REIT shares, as I sell off my REIT shares, I'm recognizing a portion of the gain from the 1031 exchange as I sell off the REIT shares.
2: Yeah, exactly. So your REIT shares will pick up a carryover basis from your original 1031 exchange basis. So whatever your tax basis was, in the old asset, if you roll it into 721, that becomes your tax basis in the new asset. And that tax basis now, let's say that's now diversified across operating partnership units. I'm gonna, gonna use the term shares, but that's now diversified or allocated across all those units. And now you choose to sell 10% of your units or 20% of your units. You sell those units and you're gonna go back to your gross profit ratio that you originally had against that selling price, and you're going to recognize gain. And that's where it can be troublesome because a lot of time, these 1031 investors have almost no tax basis. So if they choose to sell some of their operating units, they're going to end up having a gain. Now, they can control the amount that they want to sell by putting in requests only for certain amounts. And of course, the typical retiree might have done that transaction as a 72 or 75-year-old, and their needs are changing. They might have needs for nursing care. There might be reasons why they can cash in limited amounts of their operating units and take them in the appropriate
1: year where the tax hit just isn't too bad. What are the costs associated with a 721? And are there any timeline requirements similar to a 1031 exchange? Uh, Yeah.
2: First on the, the costs,
1: it really depends upon who's
2: working with you to do your 721. If you're going, I won't talk about it being exchange right at this point yet, but if you're going to a, a typical REIT and you're trying to get them to simply absorb your property into their REIT, then you're simply going to have legal costs and you're going to have a negotiated sale at whatever price you agree with the REIT to be at. So is that an extra cost? Not really. It's a negotiation that you have with the REIT. For those that are using our program where they're going from the 1031 into the DST, that stair step from the DST into the 721, basically we have zero costs. And you say, well, how can you have zero costs? Well, we have zero costs because We're absorbing assets that we've already managed, their DST assets, into another structure of the REIT. And uh, we will obtain ongoing management fees for managing those assets inside the REIT. So we don't really have another layer of costs there. Uh, We can also make money as a REIT when we are expanding the REIT by buying other assets that have nothing to do with the DST. If I need to buy another two or three Krogers or another five Walgreens, then I can make a fee on the brokerage of bringing that that into the REIT. So uh, there are no added costs in our program, but other programs might have added costs. Uh, you, you asked another question about the uh, timeline of doing uh, 721, and I think we we've somewhat addressed parts of that question. But um, once you're in the 721. How long might you be in? And that's that again depends upon who the REIT is because some REITs will be perpetual, they'll be there forever. And then your issue is do they have a liquidity formula or a liquidity program that you can access as an investor? And so most REITs do have liquidity programs, and those liquidity programs will have a quarterly liquidation, and it might be 5% of the outstanding units in the REIT that would be typical 5% per year. So you have some limited liquidity. Uh, The the other area for liquidity or how long you might stay in, some investors might choose to stay in that structure only until there's a public event, such as an IPO or a merger occurring. And then they might choose to uh, leave at that point and attempt to take their profits.
0: So say they go for an IPO and now they're they're publicly traded, right? Um, the person who originally entered into this transaction, they still have the operating shares, or are their shares now actual REIT shares that are publicly traded?
2: You could have a negotiation go two ways. You're going to actually be at first, you're going to merge your operating units into the publicly traded REIT, which will have an operating partnership structure around its shares. So you have a tax-free or tax-deferred 721 happening again when you're getting uh, merged into the larger REIT. And then once you're there, you can cash in where you convert your operating unit into REIT shares and you have liquidity. So you could argue that you've got daily liquidity in those shares.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. This is really a fascinating strategy. And um, just, I know we talked about a little bit before about who it would make sense to do, but like, say I was an investor and I wanted to, to get into this program. I wanted to go ahead and sell a property that I own, put it into a DST through it via 1031 exchange into the DST and then roll it up into the 721. How big of a contribution would I need to have to get into the DST?
2: Yeah. DSTs usually have very low thresholds for entry. Typically, they're going to be in the $100,000 range. And a DST also will typically take $8 million, $12 million, or more at a time from one given investor. But uh, we'll find quite a, a variety of investors in any given DST. So you don't have to have a lot of money to do a DST. And some folks will use the DST to create diversification, both... Within an asset class, within a particular real estate asset class, and within multiple asset classes. So let's just say, Thomas, that you uh, you've sold your property, you've realized a two million dollar of cash coming out of your property, and so you decide, okay, I like what Exchange Right's doing, and so I'm going to allocate a million dollars to ExchangeRite, Right, and I want to buy a piece of their portfolio of net lease properties because. You like the stable income, you like the credit guarantees by the, the tenants, and you like all of that. And so you put a million dollars with us. Well, so what have you really done? You might be in a 10 property portfolio or 25 property portfolio with us. So you've just taken your, with one DST, you've just taken a million dollars out of your two million and you've diversified it across 10 to 25 properties. Now you look at your next million dollars and you decide, you know what, with COVID crisis right now, I don't know how much multifamily I want to get into. You know, maybe you're going to you'd rather wait a little while on that. But you want to be in multifamily. So you go ahead and take 500,000 and you go into a DST that specializes in multifamily and perhaps they have one property or three properties. And then you decide, you know what? I really like logistics. So I'd like to be in distribution centers. I'd like to own some Amazon and FedEx facilities and so you put 500,000 into that. So with that, you can actually diversify from your apartment property that you might have sold, and now you've got some diversification. So, depending on your age and your motivation, you might be doing it for diversification. You might be doing it because, in our case, we generally are, are producing a six or six and a half cash flow on your equity, which might be double what you've gotten with your apartments. And we can also structure these to create new depreciation benefits that will go forward with you for the next 30, 40 years. So there's different reasons to do a a DST.
0: Got it, got it. And before I ask this question, is there anything else you think the listeners of the show might need to know about these types of transactions? So you really need to understand the individual program that you might be looking at or
2: going into. Because every DST, we can have the concept of a DST and say, great, it's a nice passive investment vehicle they might all create a cash flow that you know at your stage in your life you may not want to be managing your own assets so there's there might be universal benefits to all of these DST programs but certain DST programs create more binary risk than others binary risk would be you know does the economy have to stay healthy and does the location of my particular DST asset have to also remain healthy and be vibrant for this to be a good DST for me. Other DSTs, you're going to have more diversification, and they're just a different asset. So most important is understand the assets and the strategy of the given DST that you go into. Because one DST may sound great, but it may be completely inappropriate for the 71-year-old, whereas another DST has just built in more safety And security that would be appropriate for an 85 year old. So uh, you need to ask that. That's probably the most important investment piece of
0: this is understand what you're buying. Got it. Got it. And if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or exchange right, what would be the best way for them to do so? Uh, Probably the best
2: way. I'm happy to actually take calls or emails personally, but uh, first, our 800 number is 855 317 4448. That, again, was 855-317-4448. Um, you can also reach us via uh, email at info at That's info at exchangeright.com. You're welcome to go directly to me. I'm at warren at Again, W-A-R-R-E-N at exchangeright.com. And uh, if you want to just look at us online,
0: uh, www.exchangeright.com. There you have it, ExchangeRite.com. So we're going to drop those uh, links into the show notes below for everybody who's listening. Warren, I want to thank you again for coming on and explaining this unique, you know, somewhat unique but interesting strategy, and uh, we're looking forward to releasing it. Hey, thank you. Have you heard of the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit coming up on June 11th through the 13th? It's a three-day information-packed virtual event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. You will hear from experts on finding deals, raising capital, underwriting strategies, selecting markets, and so much more. I have also been invited back to present on tax strategies for multifamily investors. To grab your tickets, head on over to www.apartmentevent.com and use promo code THOMAS to get $100 off. Whether you're a seasoned vet or just getting started, this is an event that you won't want to miss. Again, join me at the Multifamily Investigation Summit by visiting www.apartmentevent.com today and use promo code THOMAS for $100 off your tickets.